I want to begin by asking and then hopefully uh, giving some good answers to a tremendously important question. And our understanding of the answer to this question can have a truly radical, and I mean radical, impact on our lives. So here's the question. How important to God is the completion of his global mission? A mission to bring to himself people from every ethnic nation on earth. How important is that to God? Our understanding of its importance to God will have a tremendous effect in how important it should be in our lives. It was tremendously important for me to have a pretty good answer to this question when I took my wife and two young children to Papua New Guinea and we began living with these people. These are the Duna people, tribal group of about 22,000 living way back in the interior mountains of Papua New Guinea. And um, they'd never heard the gospel. And so we had the tremendous privilege of helping to introduce them for the first time in history to the good news of Christ. And today there are several thousand of these people who really know and love the Lord. But I think it came close to costing us our lives to do this. Let me explain about that. These people, as I say, living in the remote mountains of the interior of New Guinea, there were no roads leading into those mountains. So our only access to these people was by little single engine airplanes. So we had to carve out a dirt runway to make it possible to get in and out of this area with these little airplanes. And um, I have to tell you that uh, the tricky thing about flying in the mountains is crazy, unpredictable winds. Pilots have told us that. You can have strong gusts of winds that are especially critical on landing and taking off of these marginal little dirt runways. So on this dirt runway, we had some close calls, a number of close calls, always because of these crazy winds that hit the plane at the critical moment of touchdown. And on one occasion, my wife and my two young children and I were on board this little plane, and this is the plane right here. We were on board this plane as we were getting just ready for touchdown, and that little plane got caught by a tr tremendous gust of wind, and the pilot later said to us, we came as close to crashing as you can without doing so. And this was one of the most experienced pilots in Wycliffe. He had flown for years in the Andes Mountains of South America. But he said, that's the closest I have ever come to crashing an airplane. And the reality is that na the nature of the crash would have almost certainly been fatal to all of us on board. So as I climbed out of this little airplane that day, I have to tell you, my legs were like wet noodles. It was a truly frightening experience. And I had to, I had to ask the question in my own heart, is what we are doing here 
worth the possible loss of not only my life, but the lives of my wife and children. Is it worth that much? How important is this to God to reach these people with the gospel? Well, as I thought about it, I realized there's no other way these people are ever going to hear the gospel. Somebody has got to come this way in order for these people ever to hear the good news of Christ. So I came to the conclusion that there are some things that are so important that they're worth whatever price has to be paid. And I thought, if this ends up costing us our lives, that's not a bad investment of our lives. But again, how important is this to God? I had to know that, at least I had to have a pretty good answer to that question for us to continue doing what we were doing there. Then years later, our daughter said to us that she believed God wanted her to go to a people group in Central Asia, a huge people group, not a three million in number, people who had never heard the gospel. There were no known believers among them, and there was no scripture in the language they could understand. And that's where she felt God wanted her to go. So I began to focus my attention on that particular people group, and I found out by reading that there was a powerful and vicious violent warlord in that area who had actually killed the national who had translated the Bible into the national language of that country. He had first thrown the man into prison, but in prison the man had continued to witness for Christ. So this warlord came to the prison and cut the man's tongue out to prevent him from witnessing. Well, somehow the man continued to witness and so this warlord came to the prison and shot the man dead. And then I found out that this same warlord had offered a substantial financial reward for information on anybody doing Bible translation work in his area. And that's where my daughter was wanting to go. Well, she went as a single because uh, during her college years here at CIU, no single man had ever decided to go with her to a place like that. So she went as a single. Now it was at that time, it was way too dangerous to live in that particular country. So she went to the country next door and began learning a language that was related to the one that she wanted to help get God's word. So she went next door, began learning that language Eventually, the Lord prompted a young man to go to that region of the world and uh, for the same purpose, to help give God's word to the many people groups of that language that had no scripture. And uh, so he went to that part of the world and he and my daughter found each other and they were married and uh, you know who they are. They're supported by this church. So there came a time when it was at least half pretty reasonable for them to move into that country and live with these people. But they were living in harm's way and they knew it and we knew it. 
And uh, in fact, a missionary couple friend of theirs had had their car blown up by one of these hidden bombs under the road. So my daughter and her husband had to be careful about their own travel. And they would go from their home to their office using different routes and at different times during the day so that it wouldn't be possible for anybody to know exactly where they would be and when they would be there. Well, I just have to tell you that for years, I have lived with an awareness that one day I might receive news that I desperately didn't want to hear. And again, I had to ask the question, how important is this mission to God? So I'll tell you the answer to that question is tremendously important. It has been for me. It will be for all of us. If we are to get involved to the extent we should get involved, we have to have a pretty good answer to that question. How important to God is the completion of this global mission? So I want to take you to scripture and give you from the Bible three of the answers that can be given. There are more than these three, but these are the three that I want to focus on this morning. The first I'm calling the oath factor, and then the worship factor, and the inheritance factor. First, the oath factor. You, the Abrahamic covenant. In Genesis 22, God saying to Abraham, by myself I have sworn, says the Lord, I will bless you, and in your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. How important is that, co that covenant that God made with Abraham? Well, it's this important. God repeated it five times in the book of Genesis, three times while Abraham was still alive. Then when Abraham died, God repeated it to Isaac, his son, and when Isaac died, God repeated it yet again to his son, Jacob. Five times in the opening chapter of the Bible, God repeats this tremendous promise. And then all through Scripture, Old Testament and New, there are 34 references back to this tremendous covenant that God made with Abraham. And 18 of those 34 times include the words, swore, swear, sworn. I mean, God is committed by the most solemn oath he can take to bless all the nations of the earth. So, because of the importance of this oath, the late Dr. John Walvard, who was longtime president of uh, Dallas Theological Seminary, helps us understand the importance of this oath. Here it is. He says, it is recognized by all Syriac students of the Bible that the covenant with Abraham is one of the most important and determinative revelations of Scripture. It furnishes the key to the entire Old Testament and reaches for its fulfillment into the new. So I want us to have a look at the various components of this mighty oath that God made to Abraham. The solemnity of the oath. God says, by myself I have sworn, says the Lord. Well, Hebrews comments on that, Hebrews 8, 13. When God made the promise to Abraham, 
Since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. And by doing that, he was putting his own integrity, his own credibility on the line. Abraham, on the basis of my character, I promise to you, I will, and then at the rest of the promise, I will bless all the nations of the earth. And uh, so, then also the nature of that blessing, the global nature of that blessing. All the nations of the earth. Now you may, uh, you probably are aware of this, but that word nations as used in scripture, both in the Old and New Testament, is not talking about geopolitical nations. It's talking about ethnic nations. Any people group who have their own unique language and culture. That's what God has promised to bless. And uh, we need to take that seriously because there are still, as far as we know, many of these ethnic nations among whom there are no followers of Christ. Notice, he says, in your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So now the New Testament comments on that and says, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say and to seeds as referring to many, but rather to one, that is Christ. So this blessing is going to come through that one seed of Abraham, Christ. So we know from this, it's talking about the blessings of salvation that come through Jesus Christ. That is what God has committed himself to by the most solemn oath he can take. And what's the cost of this mighty promise that God has made? Well, it's got to be made in blood. This covenant was made in blood. It was made in blood in Abraham's day. But scripture says the blood of bulls and goats was not enough to take away sin. And so Christ shed the blood which confirmed this mighty oath that God made to Abraham. And so the question is, is if God was willing to shed the blood of his own son in order to bless all nations with the blessing of salvation, how can that mission not be of tremendous importance to us? So next I want to talk to you about the worship factor. Dr. John Piper has made this statement, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church, worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. The ultimate consummation of the Great Commission is teaching disciples to be wholehearted worshipers. So one of the most important things we can know about God, he seeks the worship that rightly and exclusively belongs to him. So God has gone to extravagant lengths to display his glory. The heavens declare the glory of God. The whole earth is full of his glory. And God has revealed his glory because he wants to reveal his worship worthiness. So I have a, a video that I want to show you. It's a jaw-dropping video, I must say. And um, it zooms us way out into outer space. In fact, it takes us 10 trillion light years into outer space. 
and then it zooms us back and goes deep into the subatomic particles within the human body. And it is simply a revelation of the awesome glory of God revealed in creation. So if you ever want to view this again or show it to others, it's available on YouTube under the title Smiling Face. But the awesomeness of God's glory. And why has he displayed it so extravagantly throughout the universe? It's because his glory is designed, intended to bring us to worship him. God is in pursuit of worship, and he'll not be content until at last he has global worship. So whether we view it through a telescope or a microscope or even with the naked eye, all of creation literally shouts the glory and the worship worthiness of its creator. And God intended that it should do exactly that. So God already has universal worship in heaven. And he will not be content until he has global worship on earth among every tribe, language, people, and nation. So I don't think it's an overstatement to say that God is passionate about the completion of this global mission. It has everything to do with the worship that rightly and exclusively belongs to him. It's not yet global as far as we know. God will not rest until it is global. So worship that is less than global is not worthy of our God. And I want to just say worship that will come from redeemed sinners is better worship than the angels are capable of giving him. So uh, years ago, I learned the words of this little song. Let me just show it to you. There is singing up in heaven, such as we have never known, where the angels chant the chorus of the Lamb upon his throne. Their sweet harps are ever tuneful, and their voice is always clear. Oh, that we might be more like them as we serve the Master here. Holy, holy is what the angels sing, and I intend to help them make the courts of heaven ring. But when I sing Redemption's story, they will fold their wings, for angels never felt the joy that our salvation brings. And so this is what they're going to be singing in eternity, a new song. They sang a new song saying, you are worthy, that's worship. You are worthy because you were slain and with your blood you purchased to God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. God will not be content until he receives that global worship that rightly and exclusively belongs to him. That's what this mission is all about, folks, bringing to the Lord the global worship that so rightly belongs to him. So I want to talk to you now about this inheritance factor, and I'm going to talk to you in terms of three elements in this inheritance factor. There are more than these three, but these are the three that I'll focus on. In Psalm 2, verses 8 and 9, God says to his son, Jesus, Ask of me, and I will give you the nations as your inheritance, the uttermost parts of the earth as your possession. 
Now I've heard sermons that are preached just on those words right there. And I've heard people who have, preachers who have said, that's the mission of the church, to bring to the Lord, bring all the nations of the world under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when that finally happens, then Christ returns and um, takes over the, the rule of the, of the world. The problem with that doctrine is it doesn't take into account the, the, the following words in that very same text. And here they are. You will break them in pieces with a rod of iron. Folks, that's not talking about voluntary worship of the nations. That's talking about their forced allegiance to the Lord Jesus. And that's also what Philippians 2.10 is talking about when it says, Every knee will bow of things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth. Every knee will bow and acknowledge Jesus as Lord. That's not voluntary, but that's what will happen. God will require it to happen. But it's not voluntary worship. And God the Father is not willing to give to his Son only the forced allegiance of the nations. So we read this in Isaiah 5311. When he, Jesus, sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And folks, I don't know any passion more central to the heart of God the Father than is his passion to give to his Son everything his Son earned when Jesus went to the cross. God is determined to give him a full reward for his suffering. And so full satisfaction for Jesus, that's what this mission of God is about. Giving to Jesus what he earned when he was obedient unto death, even death on the cross. Now then, we read, when Jesus sees the anguish that is accomplished, or what his anguish has accomplished, He'll be satisfied. How is he going to be satisfied? Because his experience, by his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous. So that's what Christ is one day going to see. And it's going to satisfy him. Many. How many? How many people have to be made righteous in the sight of God before Jesus sees it? And is at last fully satisfied. How many? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us. Matter of fact, the Bible says it's going to be a great multitude in heaven that no one can count. This is what scripture says. I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every tribe and people and language standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb, and they were shouting with a great roar, Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. So we don't know how many, but we know where they come from. Every tribe and language and people and nation. How could God make it more explicit than that? That's what God is passionate about. Giving to his son the worship from every people, nation on earth, every language, every culture. And that is global voluntary worship, not forced allegiance. That's what God is passionate about. So another thing, <laughs> this whole mission of God has to do with the wedding of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we read in Revelation 19, 6 and 7, 
Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Folks, this text says that wedding is going to happen when and only when the bride makes herself ready. I don't know how else you can look at uh, interpret this text. The bride makes herself ready, and then the wedding happens. So, of course, that brings into focus the question, what does it involve for the bride, and we know who that is, that's the church, what, ha what has to happen for the bride to make herself ready? And notice, it's not the bride has been made ready, it's the bride makes herself ready. She has to do something. Now I realize when we talk about prophecy of end times, I am walking on ground on which angels fear to tread. <laughs> because we've all got different understandings of end time Bible prophecies. But I'm raising the question nevertheless at some risk <laughs> What does it mean for the bride to make herself ready? Does it mean that last she, see, she achieves unprecedented purity? Does it mean she at last achieves some unprecedented um, uh, unity? Which, you know, at last the body of Christ really... Is that what it means? Well, I'm... You're, you're, every one of you are going to have to make your own under, uh, determination uh, about what it means for the bride to make herself ready. But I'm going to tell you what I believe. I believe the bride makes herself ready for her wedding when at last she does what the bridegroom told her to do. Go into all the world make disciples among all the nations. And when at last she accomplishes her mission, then it's time for the wedding. And I first understood this when I was out in the mountains of New Guinea among these Duna people. I was having my quiet time one morning and I and I came to this text, and I somehow had never noticed it before. I know I'd read it, but I hadn't noticed it. But on that occasion, I realized the implications of this verse. And I realized, Lord, I didn't know that what I'm doing right here among these Duna people has something to do with the wedding of Jesus. I didn't know that. But now that I know that, I want to spend the rest of my life using all of my energies to do everything I can to help prepare the bride for her wedding. And frankly, that's what I'm still doing. That's why I can't retire. 
I, I, I still sense that this is what I'm, my life is supposed to be about. So, in answer to the question, let me just review. How important to God is the completion of his global mission? God is passionate about the completion of his global mission because it has to do with fulfilling the oath which he swore to Abraham to bless all nations with that unique blessing of salvation which comes through that one seed of Abraham, Christ. Can Christ, God cannot and will not allow that oath to go unfulfilled. God is passionate about the completion of his global mission because it has to do with bringing to him the global worship which rightly and exclusively belongs to him. God is passionate about the completion of his global mission because it has to do with giving to Jesus the full satisfaction of seeing what his anguish has accomplished. Sinners from every ethnic nation on earth made righteous in the sight of God. God is passionate about the completion of his global mission because it has to do with the necessary preparations of a bride for his son. I heard a preacher make this statement. In my church, we have three kinds of Christians, the goers, the senders, and the disobedient. My great longing is that in this body of believers, there will be none of us who choose to be disobedient. That every one of us will give our lives fully and passionately to this thing that is so important to God. How important is it to God? That will de determine, our understanding of that will determine how important it will be to us. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, thank you for these really important revelations from your word. And Lord, we just, we just pray that you will enable us to join you in this great global passion of yours, to bring to your Son and to yourself the global worship that so rightly belongs to you. Show each of us the unique role that you want us to have in bringing this task to completion. In Jesus' name, amen.